hear me? Talk Recorded live. Did I hear you say something, Russell, as I hit that button? Uh, uh, I think it was me. Can you hear me? Yes, I yeah. hear you. Okay, this is Texas. And oh, hey. Hi. Hey there. So, how's everybody this evening? Good. Good deal. Well, um, to, uh, to not get into too much of a delay here, um, does uh, well, somebody starting to say something? No? Okay. Um, anyhow, um, I uh, changed uh, computers, and I'm trying to get a last-minute software update done. Um, but uh, I can get along without it, so... Um, I'll say something. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the big news shocker going on right now, and this is a huge shock. I'm talking about shocker. That a Jewish movie mogul is uh, abusing yeah. women. Yeah. Can you believe this? Yeah. It's not possible, is it? Yeah, it's not only not possible is uh, is uh, we just can't we just can't believe that uh, one of our own. Uh, one of their own, if you will, would be involved with such untoward activity, huh? And many people are saying this has been going on for 20 or 30 years, and everybody in Hollywood knows it. And we find out the Obamas sent their daughter up there to understudy under him or be an intern. We found out it's one of Hillary's best friends. We found out... uh, He's a major, major political donator to the Democratic Party. So we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? He's, yeah. And, and don't think he's the only one. Yeah. No, not by any means. You've heard of Roman Polanski. Yeah, he's he's been uh, on the run for how long, right? Yeah, and um, I, I I just this I just can't get over it. I'm shocked. <laughs> and the position of the. The Democratic Party is they care about women. You should never objectify a woman. Yep. And, and here's Meryl Streep and Oprah and all these goddesses. Oh, well, if he did it, it's not good. You know, now we found out that he's raped women. It's just like Bill Cosby, if he did it, it's bad. It's called hypocrisy of the first order. Well, yeah, you know, and and this is one of the things that, you know, we have to be thankful for is that God reveals. And, uh, you know, 
where would you hear a pulpit today that would step forward and say, praise God for he reveals and uh, and let it be known. Um, uh, but, you know, they'll stay silent on it because, uh, of course, they don't want to be... Uh, want to be the subject of the next uh, onslaught of, you know, unwelcomed publicity and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, let's uh, open with prayer while I'm doing these final things here and um, you know, tell you guys what I was thinking about bringing to the table tonight. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity you give us to fellowship together through the means of technology. Father, it's a blessing to to my soul and to my spirit. I thank you for the promise that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're there with us in the midst. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to come into our hearts this evening, come into our minds, and bring us to the knowledge of your truth. Father, we pray for your continued guidance, the words that I say, the thoughts that are brought here tonight, be your words and your thoughts direct from your word. Father, I ask these things in the blessed holy name of our Redeemer, Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, um, I had an opportunity this this past weekend to um, have something brought up that uh, I was kind of deciding um, what I should title it, if I should title it uh, Obedience to Tyrants is Obedience to God, or if I should say that uh, we should title it something else. So perhaps for the moment, um, I gave uh, the King family a little tease tonight that... uh, that it would be dealing with obedience to the ungodly. So that was a little play on words to to get the foot through the door, as they say, or to um, encourage uh, participation. And uh, I probably didn't need to encourage participation, but be that as it may, I was just throwing that little tease out there. So I... Uh, wanted to, I got it, Um, just a second here, there we go, yeah, just open it for there for right now, just open it, Uh, leave that out for a second. Yep. All right. All right. Um, so basically, let's run to the scripture that uh, sparked the conversation. And, you know, what you often find, and Russell, you kind of commented about it, you know, even amongst the family and stuff, where. Sometimes you think that we know something or that one might know or whatever and and that the family continues to to know different things or those that we you know fellowship with uh even those that we might be in in um you know work environments and so forth and 
what we often find is that we sometimes think that others know something that we might have come to an understanding and so therefore we don't talk about it very much and as a result um, you know we may forget that there are others that have not come to those understandings either by uh, having been taught some of those fundamentals or that the, uh, they have gleaned it on their own and so forth and so as a result it uh, it does become problematic from time to time that you keep running into individuals that um, you know don't have a knowledge of things that you have come to a knowledge of and are expecting that others would have and so uh, it's an opportunity for us to go back to the basics and refine our own understandings and to ensure that that we've not been misled. The scripture that sparked the conversation was 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. And this is what it says in the King James. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may be put to silence, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Well, I'll stop there at, uh, at 16. Uh, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, this one was also referenced, so I'll continue at 16. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. All right, I'll stop there. Now, I know that those here joining the fellowship are not ignorant of that scripture, and they are not also likewise ignorant of, uh, we will go to this because it came up in the subject of study, uh, Romans chapter 13. And we will go to... verses 1 through 8. So initially, one might think, well, gee, we know all this, and uh, we, are, um, uh, we are way beyond this. But for the sake of, of tonight and the fellowship, I thought maybe it would do us all well to revisit it uh, for the simple purpose of reestablishing it in our minds, in our hearts, so uh, if I'm out of line here for the fellowship tonight, why, you'll have to pipe up and tell me we're, we're needing to get on to something else. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 8. Now there were in the church that was, let's see, I'm in Acts. I did not flip it over far enough.
Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Uh, Romans 13, 1-7. I said 1-8, but we'll stop there at 7. Texas, I'll throw it out to you. We know this scripture, don't we? Yeah, I think we've read it a few times. We've read it a few times. We've studied it. We've had it drilled into us. But, you know, one thing that I find out is that as you're talking with people out there, what we learn is that there are people who read these scriptures and oftentimes in Bible studies that they're in with their own church or so forth is where they find that this originates and the auspices, I guess, that seems to be being taught today is that we do this very thing because um, in at least in light of the way the church world is teaching it is that we don't want to be outside of God and if we resist an authority that God has placed in front of us since God is the one who controls uh, who is in authority and who is not, then therefore uh, we are resisting God when we would even contemplate the thought that we would resist an ungodly or tyrannical ruler. And the way the church world teaches it is that if you do something or are acting in a manner inconsistent with that, that you are actually acting against God. And so these young Christians or these who the church world is trying to drill this into are being taught that you do it because God will punish you for disobeying the authority. So I began by trying to counter this theology with something that I've been prone to say for a number of years, whether doctrines, parables, allegories, visions, prophecies, or metaphors, we must remember that we cannot be misled to interpret them contrary to the law of God or contrary to the biblical historical record. And I stand on that. I haven't had anybody come to me and say, you know, you're an heir with such a statement or 
anything to that effect. So it's impossible for us to understand what is being said to us in these two scriptures, at least for starters, without understanding doctrines, parables, allegories, visions, metaphors, prophecies. And it's also something that we're not able to fully comprehend what these scriptures mean if we take them out of the context of that doctrine, that parable, that allegory, that vision, the prophecies or the metaphors. So whatever it is, this doctrine that's being espoused, this doctrine to obey all rulers in civil authority, essentially, which which is what the church world appears to continue to be teaching, and it's contrary to God. And so we have to rescue people from that false doctrine and that false theology. And in order to do that, I found that this individual, who was a woman, um, her spirit was right. She can reconcile many different things in her spirit and know that those things are wrong to be a partaker of, even if it comes down to a work environment where she would be uncomfortable with a situation which... uh, she believes is unethical or um, contrary to her her fundamental belief. So that tells me that her spirit is right, but now it appears that her spirit may be, be being directed incorrectly, and it's being directed incorrectly by church doctrine. Am I making sense about how this appeared to me and what you guys may have experienced as you guys have gone through various times of of talking with others and even finding a mate and so forth. Anybody? Yeah. Uh, I've had this argument with people before, actually, or discussed it, just like you're stating it. Yeah, and so I see it as, as, you know, it's a big problem. And, of course, uh, our former pastor believed it was a big problem and and tried to address it many different ways at many different times. And um, several things always come to your mind. You know, you can't always uh, grasp everything in the the moment uh, out of your your cranial cavity and and make make it flow out your mouth in a, in a proper sequence in which to to make it effective. But besides just taking these scriptures and trying to reread them and and stop and ask what that is being referred to, for example, in Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, okay? We've been given a statement there that our soul is to be subject to the higher powers. Okay, next question might be, well, what is the higher power? All right, well, it's answered in the next sentence. For there is no power but of God. 
the powers that be are ordained of God. Okay, so then this is where the church world says, you see, if there are people in power, they're ordained of God. Well, then that's where I stop and I say, okay, let me understand this correctly. The powers that be are of God. So when we actually have an election in this country, we have an election and we think we're electing the person that is on the ballot and so forth, but God is actually electing them for us. So that begins the whole process of thinking and saying, well, gee, you know, you're right. We do actually elect. So not getting into the subject of whether it's biblical or not to elect a subject for a position of higher power um, or civil authority. That's a discussion that you have to get into perhaps as you go along as well. But notwithstanding, if there is no power but of God and the powers that are be are ordained of God, then, then we have to say that every one of these leaders is ordained of God. Well, if we were to take that, we would say, okay, then we have the exact rulers that God wants us to have. And if our rulers are being ungodly, God wants ungodly rulers over us because we're being ungodly. Okay, that would be true in a certain sense. But how are people being ungodly? Are they being ungodly only in their own individual lives? Or are they being ungodly in many other respects on a national scale? Are they involved in things that are national in scope that they don't understand? Uh, we could say the topic of usury. They no longer have that, that law of usury on, on their heart. Well, um, or you know, they no longer have been taught about the law of usury. So in that sense, then, um, God puts a blame on us as the people of a land because we no longer have that knowledge because, you know, quite frankly, he's given us wicked rulers and he doesn't want us to have the knowledge of the truth. Um, so all of that begins to break down as you begin to have these discussions into it because you realize then, well, that would be pretty disingenuous of God who allows us the free will to make choices and we can't have our cake and eat it too. In this country, we profess that this nation was inspired in founding by God. In fact, we even call it the regathering of Israel of Second Samuel 7.10, where God promised that he would deliver them into a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with an eastern sea and a western sea, which doesn't fit any of the lands of old Palestine or any of the other lands that were around that area. So some might disagree and say, well, I disagree with that, that it was, you know, this is America is the prophesied land. Okay, fine, just set that aside then. But if we are going to say that we've been founded upon biblical principles in this country and therefore it was a document such as a constitution that was drafted and we believed in the rights coming from God and and so forth, um, then we essentially rebelled against a tyrant king. We essentially rebelled against God's ordained and we thought that that was a tyrant king. 
So therefore, we have to blame all of our forefathers and say that they did what they did in rebelling against King James, King George, um, uh, unconscionably against God. Now, when you start to go down that road, the Christian who really is a Christian begins to realize how the argument starts to fall apart and break down. Because they want to believe that their country was founded upon Christian principles by Christians who were inspired by God to come and forge this nation out of a wilderness and that God was with them. So we either have to believe that that's that foundation or fundamental that we've learned was a lie or we accept it yet as truth and we accept that God was with us as a people. So therefore, he was with us against a tyrant king. So we can't have it both ways, can we? We either have to say that we rebelled and God punished us but you look at America and you see the prosperity that God gave this country between 1600 and 1850, and it was prosperity that had not been seen in the known world. So, again, the argument gets to uh, begins to break down because people are not just thinking through logically because the church world is so intent on getting the people to believe the paperwork that they're putting in front of them as Bible study that they have to contradict everything that's in their own spirit in order to accept the theology. So as I began this conversation, I I said, well, now, let me ask you a question. If... The president says, since he's the ruling authority in place by God, when the president says, we're going to run over to a country called Iraq and we're going to kill their people and we're going to do it because we believe that they have weapons of mass destruction and they're not entitled to weapons of mass destruction and they've not done a thing to us at all, are we entitled to go and kill those people? Well, in her spirit, you know that she did not believe that that was correct. And she's expressed those views many, many times. So our spirit says one thing, but they, those who are in positions of authority in a church, for example, desire us to follow the doctrine and to abide in the doctrinal teaching. And as such we find ourselves throwing out what our innate sense and spirit of God says to us in order to follow the doctrine. That's, I think, the case that we see a lot of Christians in the, in the modern church world or the evangelical church world today. Would you guys agree or disagree with that? I agree. I mean, um, yeah, it makes, makes sense to me. So then I put out this hypothetical. So I said, so if if the king or 
a judicial ruler of the land, a civil authority in charge, says that uh, it is acceptable for women to kill their unborn children as long as they are only a certain number of weeks within the womb. Would you say that that therefore would be something that would be an acceptable provision uh, to God simply because a civil ruler has indicated that it is acceptable? And instantly, the Spirit says, absolutely not. Well, but, the head, but the head says, based on the doctrine that's being taught, the head says now that I need to follow what this says, which is I'm to obey civil authority. Well, so, go ahead. If you go, if you go back to the first verse of 13, it describes what authority is, does it? Or does yeah. it not? Yes. Okay, so there's authority right there. There's your definition of authority. Every other definition that is not that is not authority, is it? Exactly. It is ungodly authority. Well, it so is, it's it is, not it is, Yeah, it's usurped authority. Yeah, it's, it's expected authority. Yes, it's guised as authority but in reality has no authority at all. Absolutely correct. That's a good way of putting it. Therefore, he who resists godly authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Absolutely. Okay, now that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So when you have... uh, when you have a president, take your pick. And they tell you it's okay to murder innocent babies. That's not authority, is it? No. That's enemy is what that is. That's enemy of God. As Christ put it, thou enemy, or maybe it was Paul, let's see, who was that? Thou enemy, yeah, it was Paul rebuking uh, um, Simon Magus. He says, you you son of all unrighteousness, or however that was put, um, and and that's exactly what it is. It it is an unrighteous and um, unauthorized authority. It is a counterfeit authority. Yeah, sure is. But it's guised, even by the Christian themselves, in authority over this individual in her walk with Christ. Well, the very, the very but, thing that she perceives as church authority is deceiving her. Well, what it should show me and anybody else listening is the the deception that the people teaching this are willing participants of the deception. Well, they may be deceived. <laughs> well, 
see, that's it. I mean, Texas, I, I agree with you, um, and I agree with Russell both, because it's hard. You know, you don't like seeing people that you know and that you don't want to be deceived being deceived. And um, it becomes very difficult of a position that you find yourself in um, because you you yearn for those around you, uh, those that you you know uh, you know their spirit is right with God. You don't want to see them being deceived, and um, you know let's you know we all know that we came out of churches that we learned were deceiving us. Mm-hmm. And I would, in fact, I'm going to go to a scripture uh, at some point here tonight where I'm going to show that God has instructed us through his word that at times, if we do not get out of those situations, we may find ourselves the subject of destruction. And that's hard for a lot of Christians to grasp because they want to believe the other lie was that I have no destruction coming my way because I believe in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that they're operating, you know, ungodly in their lives. They they still may be operating as godly as as a sinful soul knows to do. Um, but Christ has warned and said that there will be many who will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these many mighty things and these many mighty works and even cast out those uh, demon workers? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So... Um, that's a rude awakening, but anyhow, um, as I lay this out for you guys tonight, and you once again reacclimate yourself to this thought, share with me some of your thoughts as to the things that pop into your mind as to how you try to fellowship and uh, evangelize, I guess for lack of a better term, the word of God to those that that you come into contact with. You just want me to do it tonight. No. No, we have to think. We're not as fast as Wisconsiners. Well, (laughs) it's not that. I did have a little opportunity to study, obviously, because the subject came up. You know, the subject came up, so I had to, you know, I got to begin the study, if you will, in the conversation, and the thought occurred to me today, I didn't think much about it yesterday, but the thought occurred to me today is, all right, well, maybe maybe we need to go back to the pure milk of the word for a moment and let this be an opportunity to reacclimate ourselves to the truth. And well, let, let me introduce to the discussion my mom. If I were to tell her she was a, a product of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she would say, well, yeah, I guess. We all came from Adam. 
Okay. To which I might respond, well, this book is about Adam and his descendants, and I would get, you're brainwashed. But this book's for every living soul. Haven't you heard the doctrine of Catholicism? Universalism? But but she wouldn't she wouldn't say that part, but she would she would say, Oh dear Jesus help you, you've brainwashed. So so for me in my life that's a pretty tough stumbling block right there. I mean that's hurdle number one. Uh, yeah. forget Romans thirteen, we don't even get past Genesis one ten. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I I clearly understand it. Clearly clearly uh, recognize that uh we constantly find this and um now, now you stop and think about this. Uh Mr. Weinstein, is it Harry or Harvey? He's a chosen child of the chosen race to most Baptists in America. And we owe him money to his land of Israel because the Bible says whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. You think Mr. Weinstein doesn't have connections in Israel? You think they don't? practice this behavior in Israel and yet we send billions and billions of dollars we got to protect Israel hey where is that scripture that says that about uh, blessing Israel and you'll be blessed does anybody know um well he's there's a couple different areas, I guess, that I would think about. I guess the scripture probably escapes me right offhand, but he does say that in the covenant, you know, that he will bless those who bless Abraham and he will curse those who curse him. So, um, um, the the reason I was wondering is because it just occurred to me how how masterful of a trick that is, because it sounds like something that would be in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And it sounds like the kind of thing they would pull out and use for their own purposes. And then when you go up to one of these ministers and say, well, I was just reading this about, you know, Jacob in the Old Testament and God hating Esau, and they just laugh at you and go, that's the Old Testament. That doesn't mean anything anymore. But yet we have all these things that they're they're willing to go and pull from. Bless Israel, tie to us, etc. Well, Genesis chapter 12, I know, is is one of the first uh, um, areas that that comes in. So let's just flip to Genesis 12. This is where Abram receives his call. And um, I will start at probably chapter verse 3. Well, let me do 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. 
I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, you know, there Russell comes back to your mom, um, you know, going through these scriptures that continue to to plant the seed of what this covenant relationship and what this what these statements of God are, it, it, it's not a guarantee that she will accept it um, and will begin to accept and acknowledge the truth of it, but those are the steps that that I guess we would have to suggest that we do as we ourselves find ourselves in that situation with those around us as well. But that's that's just one place, uh, Texas, that kind of uh, I know begins at the at the first covenant. Um, yeah. So that's that's that could be what what some will perhaps use. Um, another one might might be in Genesis chapter forty nine. Um, and I'll just go there quick, um, and then we'll get back on this other part of this study, um, Genesis chapter 49, uh, let's see, um, okay, this, um, the reason that I had this in mind is because this is where Jacob is uh, is being blessed, and um, let's see, yeah, it looks like uh, probably start at um, Simeon and Levi. I'm starting at verse five. Okay, this is where Jacob is prophesying about these sons of his. Um, uh, let's see. Well, I guess I don't see it. I was thinking it was in 9, 49, 9. Um, Cursed be their aim. Okay, well, it's not really relevant to me, I guess, in that same sense, uh, because I know what you're looking for. Um, uh, let's see. So anyhow, 49, 9. Um, uh yeah, I'm not seeing it there. I glanced through it. Seven, seven was cursed be their anger, and I can't remember why I marked that, but that's probably not um, what I was thinking about either. So uh, I think it's Proverbs or uh, Proverbs or Psalms. And the other chat, uh, verse like that, I just don't know where it's at. Yeah, I'm not sure that I do either. Um, well, that's it. it's just, you're, uh, you're exactly right, Texas. This is exactly the way they work the Constitution of the United States of America. When they need it, they use it. When they don't need it, they omit they omit parts from it. Like gold and silver is is a exchange medium. You don't hear yeah. anybody. Talk that, that do you, Doug? 
Well, yeah, and again, Texas, uh, obviously you know this, though, too, is that in saying that they are the chosen people, it's acceptable to call them a chosen, a chosen people, and it's acceptable to say that they are God's people. In fact, Russell, your mother probably falls into the same camp to accept that they are God's chosen people, but if you go to show somebody that they're actually not, and that none of the blessings that God gave to Abraham to be a multitude of nations, to be a blessing to the world. I mean, you cannot point to the Jews being a blessing to the world at all when they were cursed in every land they'd ever walked in. Um, so, so the point of the whole thing is they are stealing that promise which you are referring to, which is that God will bless those who bless the people of Israel, not the land, and he will curse those who curse us. And the only reason that that gets turned the other way around is when we refuse to abide in his will and to obey him, and we follow after other concepts, if you will, or other theologies or other gods, you know, whatever... Uh, you know, we have to refer to them to in order to get people to understand. We weren't just talking about sticks, stones, and inanimate objects. Those may have been a part of it back then, but there are some that would think they're not a part of it today, but we do worship various sticks, stones, and other kinds of things, whether it's the bowl of Merrill Lynch or, you know, whatever. It, It still has the same concept of, being a god that we revere and that we idolize or look to for, you know, uh, blessings, if you will. And I'm not saying we in general, but in general, the, the nation. Um, so, so yeah, all those blessings, whether you're talking about Exodus 23, 22, uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 24, um you know, Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and curses is about as prominent as you can get in that. Um, so that's where it comes from, I guess, uh, for lacking a better scripture. The only thing that I really remember in Psalms, you know... Well, let me also add that uh, that's not just my mother. I'm using her as a symbol of the Baptist, Methodist, whatever Methodist you want to use, uh, this is how they have been programmed and how I was programmed. Yep. So I don't I don't want to just beat up on mother. Her heart is good. Yes. And and uh, that's that's something that we know is we can look at people and we can feel frustrated and desire that they know something or learn something that is there for them to learn and come to that knowledge and understanding, but in the end, it is God that knows the heart, and it is God that tries the heart. And thank God, He is that way. Well, and, and my mom will at least tell me what she thinks. Right. Okay. So, in other words, others will just give you a little smile and wait till you're out of their hearing, and then they'll tell you what they think to the to their uh, buddies, you know, oh, he's crazy. At least mother will say it so you can hear it. And, you know, I 
I think more of her for that than pretending like, yes, yes, oh, yes. You know. But you, you, you were talking about obstacles in presenting the gospel. There's one that comes to my mind. Romans 13 is another great example. Uh, it's it's such a, a a contradiction because I've said to them that means this is a nation, a bastard nation. Then. Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying that. That's exactly what they're saying. If they're saying be faithful and loyal to Bill Clinton, who's raping and molesting an intern in the Oval Office, and you should subject yourself to that authority? All right, great example, which is one of the examples that I went to. So let's go to that example, Second Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nursed up, and it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take care of his own, spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was to come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. All right. This was a king that was appointed by God. This was a king that we learned previously in the chapters preceding chapter 12 who erred in judgment and sinned. And that sin was brought to his mind by whom? A prophet of God. Well, we are prophets, kings and priests, the scripture says. Those of us who reign with Christ in the kingdom of Christ on this earth. But if we don't even understand that concept that we live in this kingdom of God's, that's another one of the things that we have to overcome because the church world has cast this whole earthly existence off as just a uh, a thing you got to go through. This is just something we pass through. Well, and God, in this in this example of David, we have an example of a king who was brought it was brought to his mind his wickedness. And what happened then after that really is inconsequential to the fact of the study here is that somebody brought the wicked act of the king which brought sin into Israel to his mind and he used a very tactful way to get the king to actually 
condemn himself. So you hold out this Weinstein guy, and this is the same example, when the righteous bring forth the unrighteous, and the unrighteous is one of the unrighteous already, they howl not at all, or only when they're forced to. Well, when uh, when the when the righteous bring forth the the knowledge of the sin of the righteous, why they are all over that and eager to turn the wicked king out, if you will. Uh huh. Well, uh, let me just interject uh, uh, verse thirteen. This is uh, this is incredible, actually. And so apparently, when we get to the point where David was, and you got to have a like a really clear mind. It's like the prodigal son in the mud, the pig mire. Mm-hmm. What What did David say at this point? He said, "Hold it, hold I, it, hold it. Back up to seven. Let's have it." It's it bears repeating for all of us. Back up to seven and give it to us all the way through where you were in. Nathan then said to David, "You are the man." Thus says the Lord God of Israel, "It is, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul." I also gave you your master's house, your master's wife, and to your care I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things similar to those. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have stolen his wife to be your wife. You murdered him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. Okay, now, now as he's saying all this, David's going to have an epiphany, isn't he? He's going to have a come-to-Jesus moment, as they say. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Um Somebody's going to have to shut those dogs up. Uh, and I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, but it's not David, David came to the awareness of what he had done. And um, he said, you know, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Now, doesn't that remind you of somebody in Genesis named Cain? Absolutely. However, now here's the the next big word. 
because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan left. Well, here's, you remember Paul Harvey, don't you? Uh, yeah, sure. And remember he'd say, now here's the rest of the story. Right. This sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? Yeah. But um, our family learned that uh, over here in Matthew 6, and to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Were you aware of that? Yes. So Solomon is a product of Bathsheba, correct? Yeah, the second son born from Bathsheba. And so you want to talk about grace and mercy. Uh, Guess who came out of that lineage? I mean, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so so God God takes this this man, this king, uh who sinned, who sinned, and he goes ahead and he causes the death of that firstborn, that that one that was brought forth in ungodliness, if you will, or unrighteousness. Uh-huh. God says, I will show you how to bring forth a righteous child from the from the very person you desired. That's amazing. And um but, but that's well, not the that that's not the rest of the story yet. Because well, the rest of the story is while Solomon was given great wisdom and understanding at his request of God, what was Solomon's proclivity? He had a thing for foreign women, didn't he? He had something that his father left him in his seed. That's pretty eye-opening if you really want to think about it. Well, yeah, and I was just sitting here thinking, what if David had said to Nathan, I haven't sinned against the Lord. Imagine the difference in David's life. Because at this point, he starts a restoration project. And, I mean, God starts to restore him because he realized what he'd done wrong, didn't he? Yeah. And and so this could be applied to most anybody, couldn't it? Absolutely. And... So many things get overlooked in that story, and the story is, oh, look at how God, you know, did such a wondrous thing for, you know, a man who sinned. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, he kept, God did not carry out the punishment that was due, David, which was death. Mm-hmm. Because he was a man after his heart, and you pointed it out at 13, he repented. And he acknowledged 
that all sin was against God. Well, he certainly acknowledged that one was, didn't he? Well, when we sin, if I steal from the King family, you're not to look at me as stealing from the King family. You're to look at me as stealing and violating the command of God in the eyes of God. So the sin that I committed is against God. Yeah, but I feel it too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a little bit you feel it. Um, Now, I wanted to try to bring this around to something that I don't think a lot of people consider as well, and I'd like to take this before we do run out of time. We've got plenty of time. But I thought I'll go ahead and go to this, and then we'll just have some more discussion. Um, if I were to go to Second Kings, um, chapter nine, uh, we have Elisha the prophet, and Jehu is being anointed king. Uh, Jehu is the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Uh, that's at 9-2. And 2 Kings chapter... Jehu's conspiracy. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Um, because of Israel, King of Syria. So they went on. Okay, let me see if I can find. Um, Okay, we find the king of Ahab, uh, his 70 sons killed in chapter 10. Jezebel, of course, at the end of 9 was killed. And I'm looking for Jehu. Uh, all right, let's go to Second Kings chapter 10, verse 15. Uh, let me see, can I give you a little background of where we're at here? Um, let's see, uh, Jehu, Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and all his kinfolk, his priests, until he left unremaining. So Jehu, you see, he slew all these uh, bales of, of Ahab. He arose and departed, came to Samaria. Let's see, Jehu met with brethren of Ahaziah, king of Judah. I'm in chapter 10, 13. We are the brethren of Ahaziah, and we go down to salute. And he said, take them alive. Okay, yeah, this is it. We go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And he said, take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house. Even 42 men, neither left he any of them. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him, and he said to him, Is thy heart aright, as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, 
And he took him up into the chariot, and he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria, till he had destroyed him, according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. All right, now we just know that Jehu just has already been killing all of these Baal workers in Ahab's kingdom. Now And now he says, look, you go ahead and, and tell them that Ahab served Baal a little bit, but Jehu shall serve him much. Now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal and all his servants and all his priests. Let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtlety to the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent through all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left that came not. And they came into the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was full from one end to another. So what's going on here? That uh Jehu calls all of the Baal worshipers into the tent for a grand revival meeting, if you will. <laughs> and he said unto him that was over the vestry, bring forth vestments for all the worshipers of Baal, and he brought them forth vestments. And Jehu went, and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, under the house of Baal, and said unto the worshipers of Baal, Search and look, that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worshipers of Baal only. So they said, Look around you. If you see anybody here who's a worshiper of the Lord, throw them out. We don't want them here. And so when they went in to offer the sacrifice and burnt offerings, Jehu appointed fourscore men without and said, If any of the men who I have brought into your hands escape, he that lets him go, his life shall be for the life of him. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and slay them. Let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword, and the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them. They break down the images. You see, what I think people miss here is that there could be a prophet of Elijah calling all Israel who worship Baal into the house of Baal. And my warning to to those people out there is if you go into worship in that house of Baal just to be one with the Baal worshipers, 
you may find that there is a prophet like Elijah who is praying for a righteous king. And a righteous king may come into that revival meeting or a righteous prophet of God or his angels. And he may slay the entire lot. And so I say to people out there and prayerfully those who might hear this audio, that they will actually warn the people to not go into the house of Baal with them to worship and to give sacrifice as worshipers of Baal. Because this is what our people are doing. They are becoming worshipers of Baal. We don't like to think of our mother are doing it. We don't like to think of our sister. We don't like to think of our brother. But, but it's, it's very important that you read 31. How be it? Well, I'll continue at 27. And they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a draught unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. How be it? From the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in my eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord of God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. So even in spite of good King Jehu, uh-huh. who, who could execute wrath, vengeance, and judgment upon the Baal worshippers of the day, he still followed of the generation of the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. What were those sins of Jeroboam? I was trying to remember. He was careful. He was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord with all of his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. Okay, that's what you were looking for? Yeah. Well, but you've got it. It was the commandment of the Lord to walk not in the way the laws of the Lord. And see, this is what we find in the church world today. The law has been done away with. Everything was done away in Christ. There, the, I, I, I believe that the church world literally believes today that even the Ten Commandments are inapplicable. We know they are wrong because Christ uh, uh, reiterated every one of the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. They weren't laid out in, you know, one through ten, but uh, he espoused every one of those um, those laws. But this is how far it's got with Baal, the doctrines of Baal in America, is that we've literally thrown out the law of God completely, in, including 
as you pointed out here, David's sin of murder. And murder is not murder. Uh, we do not take a life for the murderer, only under generally quite extreme circumstances, and we usually let them live for about 25 years before we even carry that penalty out. But in 1 Kings chapter 12 is where we find Jeroboam. And it might be worth just going there quick. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day. I'm in verse 32. I just happened to underline that. I don't know if that's it, but I'm going to go to it just because I do have it underlined. Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. Well, there's our first answer. Um, so he made new high places, his high places, and he placed on those high places two calves. Oh, I recall what this was, is he didn't want them to run off to to Jerusalem to uh, to uh, give obedience, uh, obeisance to God at, at Jerusalem because he didn't want to lose any of them. So he says, well, I'll just make a, I'll just make an offering, a sacrifice place here, and I'll set up these two calves. Um, so that was, again, another one of the things that he did. But it is, I find that it, it's very instructive for us to, to look at when we're talking about blind obedience to wicked rulers, um, this is a serious matter to have blind obedience to wicked rulers. Even blind obedience to a righteous ruler in the story of David there in Second um, Samuel 12, um, there was a punishment that God executed upon the land and the people suffered for it. David suffered in his own way. He became basically a bloody king. He suffered in his own way in that the child of his indiscretion and adultery was killed. And he was given a blessing to live. He was given a blessing to bear another child, a child that was going to secure the reins of that kingdom or have secured unto him the reign of that kingdom. And uh, and then, you know, the lesson is that, you know, we can have a righteous king do righteously, as Jehu did, in slaying these false priests and false prophets and worshipers of Baal in the land, and he can still go do the whoredoms of his father. So my point is, is that there's no guarantee in righteous rulers that they will rule righteously. And God's lesson to us is not blind obedience to righteous, unrighteous, righteous rulers, if we can uh, pardon the oxymoron there for a little bit. So why would he want us to have blind obedience to unrighteous rulers? Well, it reminds me of that prophet that told the other prophet not to do what God said. Yeah. Um, and they both paid for it, didn't they? 
Yeah, and see, people look at that one there and say, well, you know, God's no longer with us, and he's no longer talking to prophets, and he's no longer doing this. And I submit to this woman, God is talking to a prophetess. Now, there's a lot of people that would not like me saying that and would say, oh, oh, you you claim she's a prophetess. Well, no. I'm saying that if she abides in the will of Christ, which is the will of God, then essentially her heart is the heart of a prophetess. Well, and her heart most is that people, of God. Most people don't even know what a prophet is. I certainly did not know one, what one was till I looked it up. Yeah. And a prophet is simply a proclaimer. So you can have a prophet of God and you can have a prophet of not God. Because Hillary proclaims, doesn't she? She's a prophet. She's not God's prophet. She's a Baal prophet. Yeah. So can you think of any modern-day prophets? Uh, God's prophets, I mean? Somebody that's telling people to clean up their act? Yeah, it's... uh, And that's what he's instructed us all to be, is prophets. Priests and kings and prophets. And so that has always told me, from the time I was a little boy that I'm supposed to expose unrighteousness. Well, Doug, so you're the saint, huh? You know, you can hear it now. You know, you can hear it. And no, that doesn't at all mean what that is. As we see, um, there's, there's those who... God recognized were after his own heart and they they sinned and fell short. Uh But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being the prophet, being the priest, and being the king, which is the righteous king. In other words, the ruler, the civil authority that rules righteously. So you come right back to this thing. You come right back to this thing which says, now wait a minute. You can't read what's in the New Testament, such as the words we find of Paul and Peter in Romans 13, 1-7, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through whatever that was. We can't take that out of the context of the entire biblical record. And what I always say, we can't take it contrary to the law of God or contrary to the biblical historical record. Because if we do... We are making a grave mistake in our understanding and our theology. And every one of these church-type Bible studies that continue to do this to the next generation of would-be followers of Christ, we make twofold more sons of hell than they themselves are. Sons of death. I was just uh, going to uh, prophets in the 1828 because I think that that was kind of a good. Oh, let me say something right quick. There. Sure. 
Jesus, when he proclaimed God's word, he over and over repeated the words of the prophets, didn't he? Amen. Of, of the Old Testament who were proclaiming God's word. So, in prophet, in scripture, one that foretells future events. This is from Webster's 1828, a predictor, a foreteller. Two, in scripture, a person illuminated, inspired or instructed by God to announce future events as Moses, Elijah, David, Isaiah. An interpreter, one that explains or communicates sentiments as in Exodus chapter 7. One who pretends to foretell as an imposter, as a false prophet, Acts 13. Um, so, you know, as a prophet there in 2, it says a person illuminated, inspired, or instructed by God. Well, when you read the Word of God, are you inspired by that Word? Are you inspired and instructed by that Word? Mm-hmm. And the answer should be yes. So therefore, you are to be a prophet, priest, and king doing the will of your Father in heaven mm-hmm. who gave the authority to his Son because he came in the flesh to die and lay down his life for that sin of death that came upon us. So we can give the examples of uh, of the uh, midwives uh, and how they disobeyed. And then some might say, well, that was before... God had led them out of Egypt, and and they they didn't understand that they were supposed to obey civil authorities, and they should have just went ahead and taken those Israelite children that that uh, that the Pharaoh had said that they should kill, and they should have just killed them, and therefore Pharaoh's mother should not have taken Moses down in a reed basket and put him in the water, and figured someone downstream perhaps it raise the child up and love him and and so forth. So that, you know, we can't really count that. Well, Uh, how about Jesus' parents removed him from the situation? Uh, Almost the same. You know there had to be border guards. So you got, what's this little baby's name? We're... Is he under two? I mean, it doesn't go into the details, but you know what the word was that came down from Most High? Kill every baby under two. Well, right, but in that particular case, however, he was—they were instructed by God to remove him out of the uh, out of the way of that. So, um, well, I'm saying uh, there's an instance there of. Had they subjected themselves to the authority, the baby would have been killed. Yeah. Well, but my point is is that, well, Russell, gee, you know, God had to intervene and give those guys some inspiration by 
you know, some angelic means or whatever in order to inspire them to take the, cha- the child out of the... And we just don't have that today, you understand. So, you know, it was God that made sure that that happened. And he wasn't actually promoting civil disobedience there by Joseph and Mary. Come on, Russell. Yeah, no. He got me. <laughs> and we could... The Moses is what comes to my mind since we started this conversation. Um, I was thinking he wasn't exactly divinely inspired, was he, to murder? Isn't that what started his twisting off there in Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he slew the Egyptian that was raising his hand against the the servant Israelite. Slave, if you will. Yeah, and going against the authority of the land, wasn't he? Which ended up causing him to depart from the land. Which is a very interesting story. Yeah, you know, Texas, I mean, come on. You know, you can't use that as an example because after all, you know, again, um, you know, God had a plan for Moses. <laughs> well, doesn't he have a plan for each one of us? Yeah, you see, that's <laughs> what I believe, absolutely. But it's funny how it's funny how these things get thrown out as being, you know, um, ways in which the you know many are taught to believe to disregard these things because they don't want to, you know be found guilty of violating this New Testament, you know, law or this New Testament theology that it appears that Paul and Peter are espousing, and that is, you know, don't resist this authority because that authority is, is that's God. You're resisting God himself by resisting that authority. And I flat out say this, and I will go to my maker with this understanding, and he will soundly rebuke me in that day if that is what I deserve. I will soundly reject the ungodly obedience to the, un, to, obedience to the ungodly because there is nothing in the biblical record that shows me I'm supposed to be... now. There are some that might throw up and say, well, Brother Doug, if you've been put into Babylon, you ain't going to get out of Babylon until God lets you out of Babylon. So, okay. (laughs) Then you're in one of these predicaments where you either have to put up or shut up. And and, uh, in the case of that, I say, well, when God has delivered me into Babylon and put me into bondage and servitude as a result of the disobedience of his people, I still will not serve Baal because I'm instructed not to serve Baal. Now, I have it completely within my power to go to the Baal king and do as others have done and try to turn this Baal king from his Baal ways and become a follower of the will of God. 
And if I die in the process of so doing that in my bondage, I will die in that process. And my life will be over. But I have the knowledge that I will be raised again under the resurrection of Jesus Christ because I was a good and faithful servant to the will of God. That's my answer. Maybe others don't like that answer. Maybe others think it's a lame answer. But Daniel certainly learned how to operate within Babylon. Perhaps he didn't bring the king of Babylon to righteousness, but if you actually understand what happened in Babylon and you understand what happened to the king of Babylon, I'd say he pretty much had an epiphany or a come to the will of God moment himself, did he not? So I don't think my response is out of order, and I don't think my response is uh, is somehow uh, not sufficient. I think it's actually quite sufficient. Yeah, uh, I think you certainly gave eyes to see to the blind. And it is possible. I have always considered Job 34, chapter 30, verse 30, I should say. And here I was just going to tell you what perfect timing you had. <laughs> Job 34, 30, what time is it? I, my uh, computer screen. Uh, 902. 902. Okay, 34:30. Uh Uh... That the hypocrite reigns not, lest the people be ensnared. Um, uh, let's see. I had uh, Hosea 13 as another possible. And uh, I don't remember what that is. It just kind of came to my mind to write it down. But probably more important might be to go flat out go to Deuteronomy 28. And uh, and that's something that I think we can always try to remind people is that there's God will bless Israel and he'll curse Israel for disobedience. So, um, you know, uh, but the New Testament Christian does not, is, is not being instructed that this is applicable. The New Testament Christian is being taught that that this is no longer applicable and God is is not blessing and cursing Israel in this case. And um, then all you can do is flip it back to Revelation 22, like I always do. All right. All right, so I'm all wrong. I'm all green. I'm all wet behind the ears. Blessed are they that do his commandments that thou may have the right to the tree of life, and men may enter into the great, if, the gate into the city. So, so this all comes back from Genesis one to Revelation twenty-two. It's all about what life. Do this and live. Do that and die. 
Do this and live. Do that and die. Do this and live. Do that and die. It's funny how the the other side has, has put that play on carp diem. In other words, just live for the day. And they're actually not even doing that at all. Well, I'll let somebody close with prayer if you'd like. And I don't know if it was a worthwhile study or there's many other things that we can go into on it. Those are just some of the things that came to my mind after the initial subjects came up over the weekend. And and I dare say these Bible studies that are put on by these churches that have these patent questions and these patent answers and fill-in-the-blank type theology and don't question, come in here with the right answer or be the subject of scorn. Maybe not all churches are that way and they're opening their minds to people, people resisting, but it's been my experience that you won't be there for long. And again, my warning is the warning of that you see in, in the story there in Kings and King Jehu. So anyhow, I'll leave it with that. And uh, just something else that we got to keep sharpening ourselves on because these things keep coming up for those that don't know or haven't seen We've got to be prepared and ready to uh, allow the Spirit to work in them and not crush it. Texas? Yeah. You want to close this out? Sure. Lord, thank you for allowing us this time to look at your word and examine what is in it and what you're trying to tell us in your word and what you're trying to have communicated in this day and age that we live in. We all pray for greater understanding, for wisdom and the ability to perceive the truth that is in your word. And we ask for the ability to not only understand and have knowledge of your word, but to put the truth that is inside of your word to use in the world that we live in right now, which is your world, but it is also a a, um, very evil place and time right now that we seem to be living in. So we pray that your truth will be the fire that is needed to to change that because we ask that your will be being done here on earth as it occurs in heaven. That's right. We thank you for the wise teachers and the 
studiers and the proclaimers and the ones here that are willing to serve you and not others. And we pray for more of that. And we pray for the spirit that you put inside of us for your truth to manifest itself as well in whichever way that you want it to be manifested here. We thank you for all that you do, and we thank you for your many blessings. And we pray for continued fellowship and truth to continue to run in our minds and our lives and in our hearts. We pray it all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Doug, thank you for that that, that study. Well, for what it was worth, very good. Appreciate uh, you all taking time to spend some time with us. So we enjoy it. Look forward to it. We'll catch up with you next week. Good night. Good night. Good night.